let's say you have debt. Like okay. when should you broach that in a new ish relationship? There's a lot of financial experts and they, they really go out there and they say, you should talk about money on the first date. I go, you loser. Have you ever been on a first date? Like that's the last thing you want to talk about. Such a yeah. bad call. Like, come on. Dear Shandy. Welcome back to Dear Shandy listeners. Hello, Andy. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing good. Doing good. Excited for our guest? Yeah, I'm super excited actually. When this became a possibility, I moved mountains. You did? Mountains were moved to make sure this could happen today. And I'll get into it in a moment why it's a particularly big deal that he is joining us today. But first, I will introduce who we're talking about. So we are joined today by a finance expert who tackles not only the subject of money, but I love this, the psychology behind our decisions regarding money. He is the author of the New York Times bestseller, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. And this book has been around for a minute. This is from 2009, right? And re-released in 2019. Wow. I mean, wow. congratulations. It's Thank a you. mega hit. Uh, he is the host of the I Will Teach You To Be Rich podcast, which, I mean, this is close to our hearts, is also available in its entirety on YouTube. So if you're a visual person, mm-hmm. like nice. so many of our Shandies are, you can find him over there on YouTube. He's at Ramit Sethi, and you can find him on Instagram at Ramit. He's got, he's got the single name. <laughs> handle on Instagram. That's how cool he is. And this is mega news. His very own Netflix show, How to Get Rich, premiered on April 18th. We are recording with him today. It's April 17th. I just am so honored, Ramit Sethi, that you made time for us today before your big Netflix premiere date. So thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And you know, this is such a, it's an interesting topic because I think Money, we've had an episode on money before, and it was more like just the nuts and bolts, as you call it, actually, the nuts and bolts of money. Mm. But what I love about your content in particular is that it really ties into the emotions. You know, Mm. it's never just the numbers. A lot of us make choices without even realizing it, or we're not Mm. able to explain it. So you talk a lot about being rich. It's the, I will teach you to be rich, how to get rich. Define your concept of a rich life for our shandies. Well, a rich life can be traveling for two months a year. It can be buying a beautiful cashmere coat. And it can be picking up your kids from school every afternoon. Your rich life is yours, nobody else's. And that is what I love about this concept. When we hear the word rich, I think a lot of us instinctively recoil. And we have these visions in our head that some guy sitting in the back of a car, wearing a top hat, being chauffeured around. It's just, it's distasteful to me because I'm not that person. Mm -hmm. And it's also made up. It's from the movies. And A Rich Life, one of the things that I love about the show and about the work that I do is you get to see people who do not fit your preconceived notion of what rich is. They don't Mm -hmm. look like what you think rich is. And that's exactly the point. We can all live a rich life if we know exactly what we love spending money on and we understand the nuts and bolts of our money. Mm. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's possible to change one's mindset from being a spender to a saver? I'm just curious. Yeah, but you don't have to be a saver. That's not the ultimate goal. The point of money is not to save it. That's what we've been told in the media. Yeah, it is what we've been told. No, you can't buy lattes. No, you can't go on vacation. No jeans. No, no, no. And maybe, just maybe when you're 90, somebody (laughs) will allow you to come out of your cave and and go spend it. What kind of life is that? Mm. So the idea that saver is the aspiration, I reject the premise because yes, you need to save. Yes, you need to invest. Okay, of course. But you also need to build the skill of spending meaningfully which really is not talked about. Why do you think it's not talked about? Well, we love to judge people in America. We have a very thick strain of puritanism that runs through us. You know, this puritanical idea of if you're not working, you're useless. Mm -hmm. If you're not saving or frugal, you're useless. So combine that side with the other side where we wake up, we scroll Instagram, we see our friend in Bora Bora on a Tuesday. We go, oh, why am I not doing that? You know, (laughs) and then we feel guilty. And what do we end up doing? We end up spending anyway on a bunch of stuff that often is not that meaningful to us and we feel guilty about it. Mm. What a terrible way to live. It's like the worst of both worlds. 
I would rather somebody says to me, you know what, Ramit? I love going to this exquisite sushi restaurant. Now, I can't do it every week, but I would rather forego sort of like low tier, mid tier sushi and go to this amazing experience once a year. That would be my rich life. And it's extremely expensive. I go, fantastic. Oftentimes I talk to people on uh, podcasts or my own podcast and I'll say, what do you love spending money on? Or what's your rich life? And they often get this look. They look down at the ground. They feel a little guilty. I remember this young woman I spoke to. She had a beautiful bag. I saw it. And I said, tell me about that bag. It was very beautiful. I knew that it was something she very much valued. And she said, well, you know, sometimes I'm a little frivolous. I said, what was that word? What was that word you started to say? Frivolous. Now, isn't it funny that we only talk about certain things with the word frivolous? Typically clothes, typically handbags, typically certain items. You never hear some dude driving a $75,000 truck describing his own purchases as frivolous. Oh no, it's functional. It's got the Hemi. So <laughs> I picked up on that. So I said, Hey, tell me about that bag. And she got very, very, uh, she's very confident and she actually physically shrunk. And this mm. happens when we talk about often the things we love. And she was expecting me, the money guy, to come in and be like, oh, that's so bad. If you invested that, it could turn into $600,000 in 900 years. I go, I love the bag. It's so beautiful. Where'd you get it from? Tell me about it. And her eyes get wide. She starts to talk about it. So then I go, how much did the bag cost? Because you know I love to know. Yeah. Because oh, I can't say this. I go, yeah, you could say it. Come on. It's just you and me and you know a million podcast listeners. <laughs> he goes, okay, we'll say it, but we're going to blank it out. I go, whatever. She tells me it's very expensive. I said, do you love it? She said, yes. I said, can you afford it? She said, yes. I said, then what's the problem? Mm -hmm. So the goal is not simply to save. It is to examine what our rich life is, to understand the nuts and bolts of money, to master our money psychology, and to live a rich life. That's and, the purpose. And wouldn't you say that a big portion of that strategy is sacrifice? Mm, uh, like sometimes. picking one's battles? Yes. I, I prefer that much better. Because, okay. you know, I always prefer to spend extravagantly on the things I love and cut costs mercilessly on the things I don't. So I'll give you a couple of examples. This is something I want people to do. I don't want people to cut back 5% on everything. 5% on coffee, 5% on hair dryers, 5% on avocado. It's pointless. It mm -hmm. actually accomplishes nothing. Truthfully, the amount- sad. You, Yeah, it's, it's, it's so restrictive and it's so minimizing. The idea that your life should be minimized into simply cutting back on everything, I reject it. Instead, I'll tell you some examples of things I love to spend money on. I love beautiful clothes, love them. I love travel. I'm a hotel guy. I know the exact room, the exact hotel. I'm obsessed with it, I love it. Now, I don't really care about cars. I've, In fact, I've spent more in one year on travel than I've spent in 20 years on cars combined which is a crazy stat, but that's exactly what I want for each of you is to really come up with something that fits you like a glove. That's, that's when you start York. to know your rich life. That's the New York in you, by the way. The clothes? Said, oh no, the car part. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. I mean, I do live in California now, so I actually have a car, but you know, that's definitely part of it. When I was yeah. in New York, I was loving it. Yeah. Why do I need a car? Andy's a born and bred New Yorker and he's never owned a car yeah, I did, except what? when I did live in San Francisco for one year. Yeah. Can you drive? Okay, so you can drive. Oh, I can drive. Fine. But I rent cars. When yeah. I yeah, 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 yeah. Do you get yeah. car sick when you're being driven in a car? Well, I definitely don't get car sick when I'm driving. But when I'm being driven, depending on the driver, yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Yes. Okay, okay. I hear this about people who grew up in New York, that they just get car sick because they never really, like, I don't yeah. know. They didn't have the same experience that a lot of us did. Anyway. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. That's probably true. Sea legs. It's like someone who hasn't been on the sea much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, I got to say, whenever you get behind the wheels of a, of a rental car, it's like you, I don't know, riding a bike. You're very confident. Yeah. He really drives yeah, I like have a New, a New York attitude about driving, but I don't have the driving experience. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a recipe Good, for it's success. It's fun for her, let me tell you. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I assume that you know, you have your concept of a rich life. I've, mm -hmm. What I'm hearing to get psychological about it is it really comes down to what do you want, right? Mm -hmm. Like knowing what your rich life looks like is knowing what you even want. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious to know if you've, I, I say this because 
you know, we, we talk about emotions and relationships all the time here. And I find myself struggling to even define what it is I want. Is okay. this something you would Can encounter? we do it together? Oh, dear. Oh, no. <laughs> let's do oh, it. Come on. This dead, is so fun. <laughs> okay. okay. So let's do it together. And then everybody listening and watching can do it with us as well. Great. When we, so let me ask you just a very simple question. What is your rich life? Ooh, my rich life. Definitely travel. Mm -hmm. So I'm on the same page as you. I'm not afraid to rough it mm -hmm. if it means that I get an extra week on my mm -hmm. trip. It feels very YOLO. You mm -hmm. know, like I, I wanted to see all the places and the idea of just living out your life more or less in the same little, you know, circuit makes yeah. me sad. So okay, I would so say that. Travel would be a, a, a critical top, part of it. Top one. Yeah. Love that. Okay. Anything else? I mean, I like nice things, but I am extremely pragmatic. So I tend to have to, like, I ruminate on it for a long time. Mm. My whole thing, like I'm not an impulse shopper. Mm. I'll like look at it and then think about it for sometimes months. Mm. And then I'll like time my purchase based on a sale or if I'm at Heathrow and it's, you know, duty free and whatever. Mm. So I'm, yeah, I can't really shed that. We're, we're sort of the same that way. Yeah. Um, okay, let me pause you right there. I yeah. just want to point. So, first of all, how are you feeling talking about this? Oh, it's super emotional. I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> how come? Uh, because it's like, um, well, first of all, this is our podcast. <laughs> I know. I, I took over. I'm like, this is my podcast now. Let me ask you a few questions. <laughs> I've watched you in that exact seating like oh, so many times. I'm like, how did I end up in I this I had a position? feeling this would happen. The lighting was yeah. too good on him. I, I knew this would happen. It was destined to happen. Well, it feels like the idea of just stating what you want, and of course, all these things cost money, is it does feel kind of superficial. You don't really like how it sounds coming out of your mouth sometimes. And sometimes you're like, there's so many caveats. Yeah. Did you, you know? catch your caveats? You did it on each of yes. the things that you, what did you yeah. say? I like to travel. And then mm -hmm. what was your caveat there? I don't mind roughing it if it exactly. means that I can travel more. Like, why are we even talking about roughing it? This is your rich life. Yeah, and, and, no, you're okay, right. So, you're and right. then what was the other one you did on the clothing? Oh, I need to get a good deal. I want to feel like I'm yeah, getting my best value. Yeah. So yeah. this is very common. And I love it. I love that you're opening up for all of us because we all do this. I'll go, what's your rich life? Someone goes, you know, I, I grew up near the beach. I just love being near the beach. I'd love to have a beach house one day. It's not like I need a big beach house. It's not like it has to be grand. It's not like I even need food in there. I just need a little shack with paper on the window. I go, what the hell? Can we? I'm not asking for the worst version of your rich life. I'm asking for your rich life. And- What's going on there is that, number one, we're not taught the skills of actually being forthright with what we want. Mm. Number two, we're often terrified that if we say we want something and it's big and it's grand and then we can't actually do it, that we've failed. Oh, and yeah. I, it, did that resonate with you? Totally, yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, and to me, that's playing life on defense. And I don't want us to play life on defense with our money because so many of us do that. Think about it. We wake up in the morning, we're faced with a thousand decisions in a month. Oh, should I get this cheesecake? Should I get the extra large coffee? Should I pay off my debt an extra hundred dollars a month? And we just react, just one transactional decision after another, no vision. And we get to the end of the month and we just simply go, I guess I spent that much. That's life on defense and that sucks. Yeah. I would much rather we come up with this beautifully crisp vision. I want to travel mm, two months a year. I want to go to these countries. I want to travel like this. It could be hiking, could be inexpensive, could be expensive, could be whatever you want. Um, we love food tours and we love going to whatever. It could be whatever your thing is. And that starts to become vivid, crystallized. And honestly, I don't need any apologies from anybody. I want you to be unapologetic about your rich life. Mm. How does that all strike you? Oh, I think it sounds beautiful. I think that it's, you know, easier said than done. Yeah, it's hard. It, it sounds should be hard. A, yeah, I guess. It sounds a little like manifesting in a way, like just even knowing what it is you want and envisioning it and therefore knowing what you're working towards, making small everyday decisions towards that goal. I think that's true. I think I, the manifesting part, like I'm not really in like the life coach world, but <laughs> uh, 
Okay. But I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. I do think there is an element of designing your rich life. Absolutely. And most of us don't. We don't think mm. about it. We play defense. We're ashamed of the things deep down that we love. Like if somebody loves a sweater or somebody loves a certain yoga class, I'm like, awesome. Tell me, why do you love it? Let me show you how you can use your money to live it. But the other part is you can't just sit and manifest it. Like there's mm -hmm. only so many Venn diagrams you can draw in your journal. Honestly, you need to actually build confidence through competence. That means you need to know your numbers. You mm -hmm. do need to know what asset allocation means. You do need to know what the rule of 72 means. You do need to know what diversification means. And this stuff is not complicated. It's been taught to us as super complicated. You gotta be have a PhD, you don't. You could learn this stuff in two weeks. But if you combine those two, true vision, like I love this, I want this, I'm gonna get this, and the nuts and bolts of personal finance, you got a very good chance of living a very rich life. What's the rule of 72? The rule of 72 is 72 divided by your return rate will tell you how many years it takes you to double your money. Uh -huh, yes, now, yes. I'll tell you why this is a great little party trick. Well, these are the kind of parties I go to, okay? <laughs> it, it tells you that if you have, let's say, $10,000 invested and you do nothing, you just let it stay invested, you don't touch it, after roughly seven years, seven to 10 years, that money's going to double. 10 turns into 20. Okay, that's not that much, whatever. 20 turns into 40. 40 turns into 80. And it starts to massively accumulate. And what mm -hmm. that really shows you, most of us have never seen these numbers, is that if you start early, or no matter what age, if you start now, you're setting yourself up to have lots more money down the road. Mm. And that's powerful. So Charlene, what were we discussing right over there in the kitchen yesterday? We were discussing how much money we save a year ordering HelloFresh meals versus eating out. And, and what did the, we decide? We decided the number was staggering, staggering, first of all. And that's not even taking into account the fact that I only really know how to make five dishes like off the top of my head. Yeah, but you make them very well. Thank you. Thank you, husband. Very well. I look forward to each one of them. <laughs> Thank you. But that's why HelloFresh, we are really the target demo for it. We get the variety. We get different meals every single week. The meals are delicious and easy. And then on top of all that, we save a crap load of money. Yeah. You think like I led with the money saving, which yeah. is huge. Massive. But when I think of HelloFresh, I don't always think of the money. I'm really thinking about, wow, I'm eating healthier mm -hmm. and I'm very happy. Every meal <laughs> when you're cooking and I know you're cooking a HelloFresh, I don't even need to know what's for lunch. Mm -hmm. I don't need to know what's for dinner. Yeah. I just know it's going to be good. Yes. They know what they're doing. I mean, they have professionals. <laughs> I, I hope. <laughs> Some guy like in the corner is like, yeah, I think uh, chicken masala might be good this week. So HelloFresh, in case you've been living under a rock, is a meal delivery kit where the ingredients and recipes are delivered directly to your door. And it really is just such a time saver in the long run. Not only money saver, time saver. And sometimes I've found that when I'm talking to my friends, like maybe we're talking about how expensive restaurants have gotten in New York yeah. or how, you know, they, they're cooking more yeah. and, you know, they're getting more into cooking. And I start mentioning HelloFresh <laughs> and I realize I start sounding like an ad, but I really mean it. So go to HelloFresh.com slash Shandy50 and use code Shandy50 to save 50% off plus your first box ships free. Again, that's HelloFresh, H-E-L-L-O-F-R-E-S-H.com slash Shandy50. That's Shandy50 and use code Shandy50 to save 50% off plus your first box ships free. Okay, well, so we're already going out of order, which I love. I love it when that happens. So to talk nuts and bolts for a second, because this came up a lot. We have a lot of Shandys in their 20s and the mm. person who wrote this question was, were, was in is in their 20s but I actually think you know I think a lot of people might be wondering this if you're already on a tight budget you already feel like you're sort of living hand to mouth and it just feels like how can I even be thinking about retirement I'm still just struggling what advice do you have to those people I know you're going to say start early but I, I also want a how <laughs> okay well um, let's first start off by realizing that almost nobody keeps a budget okay mm. and I don't even want you to because it doesn't work why would I come in here and tell people keep a budget when it doesn't work? Honestly, who cares about tracking the price of Brussels sprouts anyway? It's so pointless. So you do, first of all, I, I say that because most of us feel a certain way about money, but we don't actually know the numbers to justify our feelings. Feelings are very important with money, okay? I, I will never tell you stop feeling that way. But what I want to, 
to help you understand is that your feelings can lead you astray. I speak to couples on my podcast sometimes who have millions of dollars and they still worry about money. They feel anxious. One of them came to New York and changed hotels from a very modest East Village hotel to going all the way to Chelsea just to save about $100 a night. And guess what their net worth is? Millions. Okay. So I share that because you're all, yeah, I exactly. You're looking saying, this is, this is insane. Well, guess what? If you don't master your money psychology, the way you feel about money, you're always going to feel like you don't have enough. It doesn't matter if you're, you're 22 living in New York, you actually are on a very tight amount of money or you're 45 and you've accumulated more. You're still going to feel like you don't have enough. So I say that to say your feelings are important, but they can lead you astray if you don't know your numbers. Mm. I want to give this uh, person who's writing the question four numbers that they can track, which will really help them feel more comfortable. All right. So um, this is these are all part of my conscious spending plan. These are the only four critical numbers that I really track. Four. That's it. The first is your fixed costs. Your fixed costs include your rent or your mortgage, your utilities, groceries, uh, any debt payoffs, things that are consistent basically every month. And that number should be 50 to 60% of your take home. Okay. Mm -hmm. The next is your savings. That should be roughly 5 to 10%. That's money like an emergency fund, maybe a little amount for a down payment on a house, things like that. Investments. 5 to 10%, although I'd love to see that number higher, especially in your 20s, because it will turn into much more. And then finally, my favorite one, guilt-free spending. This is money you want to go out, you want to have beautiful cocktails, clothes, travel, whatever. Guilt-free, 20 to 35% of take-home pay. Hmm. Now, it most people have never put their numbers into this type of model. It takes you roughly 15 minutes to get 85% of the way there. And that helps you understand how you stack up. Oh my gosh, I'm spending way too much on my fixed costs. How can I cut those down? Oh my gosh, I'm not investing anything. Okay, could I actually set up an auto pay $50 a month for investments? Yeah, I could probably do that and I'll find a way to make it work. That's how you start to take control. Ooh, okay. Wow, you give such great answers. It's like, I'm like... <laughs> Yeah, I'm really kind of enjoying this TED talk. You can, I'm letting you do all the work on no, this one. No, I noticed. You're like totally <laughs> I, I just want to listen. You just touched on something that I think people are wondering, and I know that because we did Polar Shandies. The idea of investing, you know, mm. of, you know, putting the money away. You said savings savings and investing were separate, you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they are. Okay. I don't know if it's proper for me to ask you to give a 101 for both, but sure. this came up a lot. It's like, I, I know I should be investing. Mm -hmm. I know I should be saving. I don't know how to even start. Yeah, totally. I, I love this question. First of all, I love it because where is everybody supposed to learn this stuff from? Okay. You. Well, <laughs> Yay. They, yeah, thank you very much. And watch the Netflix show, okay? Yes. All right, so <laughs> I'm so excited for I'm it. Glad, I'm glad to get this question because if someone actually asks it, it's a very good predictor that they're going to do well with their money. Okay, so let me give you a very quick breakdown. And there's much more of the nuts and bolts in my book and all of the stuff I talk about. So savings, that's money I usually think about is going to be used between one to five years. So it's not something you're going to, you don't need to save for spending at the restaurant. That's already handled in your conscious spending plan, you know, from your checking account. But if I'm going to go on a very nice trip next year and it's going to cost me $3,000 or, or $30,000, I'm going to start planning for that ahead, all right? I actually planned for my wedding before I even met my now wife because wow. I was like, I'm Indian. I'm going to have a sweet wedding and it's good. <laughs> and I don't even want to look at the price. It's going to be awesome. So I just started putting money away in my 20s. Now, okay, we don't mostly do that. Most people are like, uh, that's fucking weird. But <laughs> we, can do, we can do that now that you've listened to this. You could start saving for a car, a nicer apartment, uh, of course, an emergency fund, all that. So the way you do it is so simple and fun. It's actually easier than brushing your teeth every morning. You have a savings account. There are plenty of great high yield savings accounts like Marcus, Ally, all these ones, they're all fine. And every month you set it up so that it will automatically transfer 50 bucks or a hundred bucks or 500 bucks, depending on your conscious spending plan. And it just sits there. It's just accumulating. I have multiple savings accounts for different purposes, um, vacation, 
emergency fund, et cetera. I like people to label them because it gets very specific. It's like a goal. It's like a video game. Oh, okay, we're going to uh, Safari. We're going to Italy. Italy fund. Boom. <laughs> so that's how you do savings. Really easy. Set it up once. Forget it. And most people are shocked to discover that they can save way more than they thought once it's automated. In other words, you should not be trying to transfer money. You don't try to brush your teeth. It's a habit. With savings, you just set it up and it happens without you even doing anything. Mm -hmm. Okay? Okay, great. Should we talk investments? Yes. All right. Investments are where you make real wealth. And I, I've heard this phrase so many times. Well, only the rich can invest. Wrong. The way you get rich or you create wealth is by investing. And some of my most gratifying stories are people who said, look, I, I was making minimum wage. I started investing $20 a month. And now they've accumulated thousands of dollars. They're setting themselves up to completely change the trajectory of their socioeconomic lives. Ooh. It's amazing. They're kids. It changes everything. I've also heard a phrase, investing feels like gambling. Yeah, that's because you've been reading all this bullshit online, which is like, oh, what's the stock you're going to pick today? What's the P.E. ratio? S stop all that. It's nonsense. Investing is like watching paint dry. It's super boring. I log in hardly ever. And you should spend total on all of your finances less than one hour per month. That is when everything's running completely automated. So a simple way to think about investing. This is what I tell my family when they ask me. They go, where should I put my money? I go, all right, the simplest place to start is something called a target date fund. It's very, it's one fund. All you do is you pick it based on the year that you're going to retire. So let's say you're going to be 65 in 2050. Let's just pretend. You can find a fund called Vanguard 2050 or Fidelity 2050 or Schwab. There's plenty. They're very low cost. It's one fund. All you do is put your money in there. That's it. And as you get older, it automatically becomes a little bit more conservative. And it, over time, we know the market tends to grow roughly 7% per year. That turns into a lot of money. And so that is how you start investing. Ooh, okay. Wow, an actual answer. I know. Well, that was nuts. I, know. I don't, never I don't even that. know what to say. Well, you know what? It's like, well, what's, right, what's best for you? I <laughs> hate that. I, you know what? I hate that stuff. People go, here's three ways to pick a bank account. I'm like, fuck that. I'll just tell you the bank account I use. Because I'm the freak that's up Saturday nights looking at comparing all this stuff. And I'm like, look, if you're listening to me and you watch my stuff, you just want to know what I do. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not in with these banks. I'm just telling you exactly what I use, the same credit cards I have, the funds I use. Because I learned it from Oprah. I used to watch Oprah 4 p.m. in the 90s. Uh -huh. And Oprah's just like, this is the best. Do this. This is and I'm like, oh my God. And it's because they trusted her. And that's the same reason people trust me. Okay, so before I ask my next question, what bank account? What bank accounts do I use? Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you what to use and I'll tell you the ones to avoid. So if okay. they're your advertisers, sorry, not anymore. <laughs> um, I like Schwab checking account. I think they're really good. It's awesome. Uh, you can withdraw from any ATM and you get all those fees sent back to you. So people what? living, especially in cities, yeah, like New York, exactly. You want to go to the bodega, you want to go anywhere, boom, those fees are irrelevant now. Look at that, look at the look on your face. I love it. Okay, so that's a great checking account. For savings accounts, there's actually a huge amount of them. So we mentioned uh, Ally, uh, Marcus, American Express has a good one. Honestly, they're all good. So mm -hmm. open them up and just stop. Uh, there's some like, optimizers. They're always like, Ooh, that one gave me 0.2% more. I'm like, get a life. Just pick one and move on. You do not <laughs> okay. need 0.2% more. Okay. Those are the best accounts. And credit cards? Credit cards. I like, uh, so I like a, this is getting a little card. selfish, I think. <laughs> yeah. She's like, uh, hold on. She's like looking in her wallet. Hold on. Um, what about this yeah, one? Yeah. This is for our fans. No, not for I just, Charlene. I, our Shandy's love specificity. Okay, I'm okay, speaking okay. on their no, behalf. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So I like, um, 2% cashback card, and I like a travel card. So let me break it down. There are a couple of really good 2% cashback cards. There's a Fidelity 2%. It's just straight 2% back on everything. Mm -hmm. Simple. You don't need to go, I'm buying my gas. I'm going to use this card. I'm doing it. I go, I'm not going to buy sourdough bread with a different credit card. What a waste of life. <laughs> Chase so 2%, freedom, right? <laughs> Yeah, 2%. Uh, also, there's a 2% card from Capital One. It's also very good. Uh, in terms of travel, if you spend enough to justify it, uh, Chase Sapphire Reserve is really good. Uh, you need to do a credit card calculation. What do you both use it? 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. Okay, great. And then I have one card, which is a pure luxury, and that's Amex Platinum, simply for the lounges. Whoa. <laughs> oh, Couldn't agree more. This is all so right, satisfying. So there we go. That's and it. then that's it. Listen, the, the key to all this is simplicity. So the more I've become financially successful, I have a business, my wife has a business, we have our joint accounts. It is very easy for things to become super complicated. You've got to fight for simplicity. Mm. Fight for it. I talk to couples on my podcast. Some of them have one-tenth of the amount of money that we have or, or whatever. And their accounts are so complicated. No wonder you can't get on top of it if you have some credit card from Express, some credit card from Gap. First of all, never open up those shit store cards they're the worst close them they're terrible now wait before everybody gets mad at me they're gonna go ramit if i close them my credit's gonna go down okay listen yes your credit will go down in the short term if you close a credit card but it will go back up over time and it's important in my opinion to have a simple financial system that you can deeply understand a couple of credit cards a good checking account a savings account that's it keep it very simple and an investment account Okay. So since you sort of touched on couples there, we do have some relationship questions. Obviously we're a relationship podcast and it comes up so much. There's three hot topics I would say that come up routinely. One is the idea that one of you makes significantly more money than the other. Actually we'll, we'll go one at a time. So one of you makes significantly more money than the other. How would you break that down in terms of putting money in a shared account or like with bills, rent, whatever. Okay. What do you say to that? So let's let's talk about the joint account first. Let's talk about if that relationship becomes really serious and you maybe even want to talk about a prenup. We can even discuss that too. Oh yeah. That was okay. one of the other things. Oh, okay, cool. So this is very common. One partner earns two times more, three times more, whatever. And it can become very contentious. So let me give you the tactical answer, and then let's talk about the actual feelings behind it. The tactical answer is that the simplest way to set this up is to have a joint account and two individual accounts with no questions asked money. Now, for the joint account, it's really helpful that you pay proportionally. So if somebody's making two times more than the partner, they should pay two times more for joint expenses. Mm. And that makes sense because let's say that somebody lives uh, in Nolita in New York. <laughs> it's a very expensive area and they get married and their partner doesn't earn as much. If they're splitting things 50-50, that is very unfair for the lower earner. They're basically spending all of their money on rent now. Mm. So proportional mm. really makes a lot of sense. One final thing, I love this concept of two separate individual accounts. If somebody loves um, taking a certain type of trip, somebody loves golf, somebody loves massage, they can do that with their own individual money and no questions are asked. Simple. Mm. Yeah. It's like separate bedrooms. If you need <laughs> you them. Go. If you need them. Yeah. If you Normalize that. Normalize sleeping separately. Yes. Okay. So then would you say, because one of my questions here is, do you think there's a gold standard in terms of split or shared bank accounts. You think that's the gold standard. One yeah. shared and then one separate each. Basically. Correct. Okay. I love, he really gives a, a solid straight answer. Yeah. I fantastic. agree with everything you're saying I too. I usually make believe I agree with everything people are saying, but in your case, I agree with everything. Wow. I love it. Okay. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. So, wait, wait, oh, sorry. Can we talk about the feelings? I have to tell you one yeah. thing that I've, I've learned. So um, I speak to couples a lot. And often there's a massive disparity in earnings. Now, remember on, on my podcast, it was very important to me from day one to have extremely diverse couples. So let me tell you what happens. They come on the show and they share all of their numbers, their income, their expenses, their investments, debt, everything. So you've never heard couples pulling, like really talking about everything. Now, yeah. I have couples who have $800,000 in debt. They're worried about, you know, can we afford to have children? I have uh, episode 80. If I add any more credit card debt, my husband is going to divorce me. That was mm. shocking. I also have couples that have tons and tons of money. Let's see, episode 20 or so is a couple where he wrote me, my wife is going to divorce me if I don't stop being so cheap. 
mm-hmm. their net worth was about $13 million. <laughs> So, yeah, exactly. So you listen to it and you go, this is insane. But the fact is, all of us are irrational with money. Me, mm-hmm. you, all of us. And part of this is just shining a light on that. So when it comes to overspenders and underspenders, um, the thing that, like episode 65, oh my God. She comes in, she goes, um, I want my boyfriend to um, pay for dinner. Okay. Fine, fair. He goes, okay, I'll pay for dinner, no problem. And then when he offers to pay for dinner, she rejects it and says, I want you to instead take that money and put it in a Roth IRA. I want you to start investing. Now, guess what? He makes $2,000 a month. He's just started a business. It's going well, but you know, he's just starting out. Guess how much she makes per month? Oh, oh, more, I'm assuming. (laughs) Guess how much? Pick a number. 20 grand. Oh, I was going to say 10. Try $200,000 per month. Oh, dear. Okay. Oh, I just got chills. There's a, there's a lot of sweating going on in this room right now. So imagine the dynamics with some one partner making 100 times the other. And there's gender dynamics. There's mm. social class. She's been learning about investing since she was the age of five. He has never really learned about investing. So on episode 65, Connie and Wes... It's a fantastic way to really examine the dimensions. Here's what I've learned. The lower earner in a relationship is almost always obsessed with one concept, and that is the concept of contributing. Am I contributing enough? And they will ruminate and agonize because in our society, non-quantifiable things are not as valued as money in the bank. So it might be childcare, it might be organizing events, it might be whatever. And we just don't value those things as much. We don't even write them down. We just take them for granted. And what I am gently trying to show my audience is that those are valuable and we need to talk about them. We need to put them on paper and write them down and say, look, how do we want to value these things? You don't have to put a number to them. I don't want you to be like, I clean the dishes at night. That's worth $7. If you do that, you've taken a wrong turn. But I do want us to be conscious that uh, you should not be obsessed with the word contribution just because you don't make enough. There are lots of different ways in a relationship to contribute beyond purely financial. Mm. As a matter of fact, you mentioned a, a joke about cleaning dishes, but there is a huge chunk of this economy that is unpaid labor in a domestic situation. Like it's like 20% of the entire economy is just people doing things in the house they don't get paid for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, speaking of rearing children too, especially. So is that actually a common thing you hear? Because that actually did come up more than I was expecting, actually. We got a couple of Shandys asking if there's a number, like the number with capital T and N, that you think it's appropriate to therefore start a family. No, like a lot. Of, okay, so you think no, you just no. budget differently and change your life. Again, this is this is a great example how we love quantifying things, mm. and in my mm-hmm. opinion, the most important things in life are unquantifiable. You, you go, you do you quantify how long you hug your loved ones for? Oh, mom, I love you. Oh, let me hug her for four point two seconds. That's the optimal <laughs> amount of time. I it's like fucking weird. So, but but yet we are so obsessed. Uh, he did this, she did that, they did this. And we need to quantify things as if that will give us peace. Hey, alert for everybody here. If you worry about money right now, you're going to still worry about it when you have $5,000 more in the bank, $50,000 more in the bank, even $5 million in the bank. I know it because I feature all these couples on my podcast. You worry more on the show. You worry more. You worry more about the money when you have more money, right? Isn't that what Vicky said? You worry worry differently. You worry differently. And the, the key thing here is not only do you need to work on the nuts and bolts of money, as I said, but the money psychology. Yeah. So it's fascinating to me. Sometimes I have a couple, they were, I think, uh, dentists, and they had like a lot of debt, 400 plus K of debt. The way they talked about money was actually calmer than some folks I speak to who have $15,000 of debt. So Ooh. why is that? That's a deep understanding of money. If you have debt, that's knowing the exact month and year of your debt payoff date. And it's understanding how money works and how you feel about it. You could do this. Okay. So I have to touch on prenups because you you touched on it. It came up a lot. Thoughts on prenups? Well, I did a prenup. My wife and I signed one. So I'm happy to talk about it. Great. Uh, So when we met, 
I was the higher earner and I've been running my business for like 20 years. You know, I, I teach money. I think about money. I've been investing since I was very young and just by luck and by hard work and by nature of my business, I've accumulated an asset, my business, my portfolio, et cetera. My wife had a very good job, but it, she wasn't running a business like I was. And so we sat down and we had a, like in a relationship, there are natural pivotal moments where you should talk about money. And some of those would be um, your first trip together. Uh, if you get engaged, uh, if you decide to move in together, certainly when you're gonna getting married and there's a few, just, you should just talk about it. So we sat down, we had a Google calendar invite and we had little items on the agenda. It was like a formal business meeting. It was like kids. Um, and then I was like, you know, we talked about like, do we want to have kids? What do we want to name our kids? I was like, I want some little kid named Jack running around my household or Mike. <laughs> like that's not, I, I never envisioned that. So we talked about like real details. Okay. <laughs> what kind of place do we want to live in? If one of you wants to live in a Manhattan high rise, the other wants to live on a subsistence farm, you got a problem. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're talking about this, we're having fun, but we're just also aligning. So at that moment, I remember bringing up the idea and I said to her, you know, because of the virtue of my business and time and luck, you know, I've built this asset and it's really important to me that we talk about a prenup. And she was super responsive. Like she was like caught off guard a bit and she goes, wow, I didn't expect that, but like I'm open to learning about it. I was like, cool, because I was nervous. So we proceeded to start discussing it. And, you know, each person gets a lawyer and the lawyers are interacting and we're interacting. And it was going pretty well until it got hard. And it got really hard. And so we were like struggling to communicate in a way that was productive. And so she finally said, I think that we should go talk to somebody because this is like, this isn't working the way it should. So we did, we went to see a therapist in New York and um, it was actually awesome. The therapist sat down with us and I remember this one question she asked us, she goes, um, what does money mean to each of you? And she looked at me and it was like such an obvious answer. I was like, oh, I got this, like growth. Like I could see the numbers going in front of my eyes. I was like 7% return on average, add this percent. Like it was, I could see it, right? So obvious. And then she turns to my wife, asked the same question. And my wife goes, safety. And I looked at her like, what did you just say? It's like saying beef. Like it has no <laughs> correlation to money at all. So that was revelatory. And it suddenly started to explain you know, some people listening to this, they, I guarantee you, they, they resonate with the word safety. Mm -hmm. And now they start to examine it. They go, oh, now I understand why I want $10,000 in my checking account, because I believe it will make me feel safe. Oh, I understand why I do this with money, because it's about safety. Okay, so I was like blown away, especially because I'm the money guy. <laughs> like, how the hell... Did I miss this? And it really shows we all need help. We all need coaches, therapists, whatever help we need. And we ended up, you know, continuing to work through it. We did sign it. We both feel really good about it. And so my my suggestion to people considering a prenup, first off, it kind of makes sense if one of you has a much higher net worth or income, or you have inheritance or a business, some sort of disparity. Okay. Second, this concept of a, a prenup is from the movies. A lot of us have a very incorrect misconception. We think that it's one person, usually a rich man, who's like out to screw the other partner and they send, they dispatch their team of expensive lawyers and the other one's so defenseless. That's not how it works, please. That's why I'm talking about this because I want people to know, you know, in a lot of cities now, young women in their 20s are actually earning more than men. Oh, I so this it. is really important to know. Regardless of gender, it's important to know. Both partners get a lawyer separately, okay? And if you cannot afford a lawyer, the higher earning partner pays for the other lawyer. Mm -hmm. And so by the end, you come up with a plan on what would happen in the case of a separation. I think that if you're diligent with your money, you plan for retirement, you plan for vacations, of course you should plan for marriage because marriage is about love. It's also a contract. And what I want to do with folks is to take away the stigma of a prenup as if it's about, you don't love me. You don't trust me. It's not about that. I trust my wife more than anybody on this planet. I love her 
and she loves me. And she now speaks to some of her friends who are going through this, sometimes the higher earner, sometimes the lower earner. And she has a, a pretty fascinating perspective, especially because she runs her own business of how to think about prenups. Mm. Okay. I mean, I see why you got a Netflix show. Yeah. That's the first thing I thought like 10 minutes in, I was like, Netflix. Yep. This guy has Netflix written all over. Okay. I have to squeeze this question in and then I have a final question, but just one more on the relationships thing, because this did come up a lot. You talked about these key moments in a relationship Mm. where you should sit down and have the money talk. Let's say it's a relatively new relationship. Are you saying then the first time you would sit down and talk about money and especially let's say one of, let's say you have debt. Like when should you broach that in a new ish relationship. I love this question. I love it because in the money world, there's a lot of financial experts and they they really go out there and they say, you should talk about money on the first date. I go, you loser. <laughs> Have you ever been on a first date? Like that's the last oh, thing you want to talk about. Such yeah. a bad call. Like, come on. <laughs> and I, I think you can tell like from talking to me, I don't want this theoretical stuff. I'm like, look, this is the stuff that works. You can adapt it for your own needs, but it's laughable someone going out on a first date being like, let's discuss our asset allocation. How do you think about your Roth IRA? It's like, get a life, okay? (laughs) So here's how I would think about it. In the early parts of a relationship, let's say in the first few months, there are some awesome opportunities where you can just get curious. You're like, hey, when I was growing up, like we never went on vacation. The one time I remember we went to Disneyland and we stayed with our family and it was like a huge treat for us. Like, what was it like for you growing up? That's genuine curiosity. Mm. And you're also learning a lot about, you know, what if they're like, oh, yeah, we took a jet to Vail. Like, oh, that's <laughs> cool. I didn't know that. Cool. How did that change your outlook? So you're getting curious. You can learn a lot. Then as you get closer, you can start talking more specifically about money. It might be, um, we're, hey, you know, I would love to go on this trip um, around December. I'm thinking of this. Like, usually when I go on a trip, The way I think about it is I save money on the hotel and I spend a little bit more on food because, you know, we're both foodies. Like, what do you think? Again, genuine curiosity and you're not telling, like, we can't do this. It's more Mm. like, hey, this is how I think about it. What about you? Mm. All right. If you have debt, a lot of people who have debt are so petrified to bring it up. They feel ashamed. Uh, They feel behind And it's just a deeply overwhelming feeling. A lot of people tell me they feel it in their chest and their stomach. It's just Mm -hmm. awful. In my opinion, there's something so attractive about somebody who acknowledges they have something they're working on and they have a plan for how to do it. I just love it. I think we all are attracted to that. And Mm -hmm. it might go something like this. You might say, you know, I wanted to talk about something that's been on my mind for a while. You know, we've taken a trip. Obviously, you know, things are going well. And there's this thing that, that's just been gnawing at me, and it's about money. When I was in my 20s, I was living in New York, you know, going out, having a good time. And I wasn't super responsible with my money, you know? And it was around like 28, I got a new job. I started to take this more seriously, but I'm still working on paying off my debt. Now, I know I've got three more years, and I'm going to be debt-free, I'm still investing a little bit every month. I kind of wish I had never gotten into debt, but here I am. And I just wanted to talk about it with you because I want you to know it's important because money's going to be an important part of our lives. Boom. Oh. What do you notice about that answer? Oh, I mean. Honesty, confidence, and probably a plan to fix it. Yes. Yeah. Super attractive. There's no shame. We all made mistakes at some point in life or we just didn't learn. Probably the person who's giving that answer did not have parents teaching them about debt payoffs and management and all. You know, we all grow up with different stuff. I didn't learn about fitness until I was in my late 20s. I wish somebody taught me about deadlifting when I was 13 years old, but I just didn't learn it. So a lot of us are like that with money. And there's no shame in that as long as you've got a plan and you're honest about it. Mm-hmm. Mm, wow, what a lovely answer. Yeah. I, I'm honestly, my mind is awash with what I want my last question to be. I thought it was going to be one of this one, but wait, 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 wait. let's do this. Up, let's do, yeah. let's do two. So I have this philosophy. Yes. And yes. 
People okay. are like, should, should I get this or that? Yeah. And sometimes this, I go, li- Let's live your rich question life. <laughs> yeah, live your r- rich question life. Well, Hit I me. just want to respect your time. I'll stay extra. And, and I feel like we are like just getting in, like we're like Indiana Jones yeah. and getting you on our podcast because I think you're about to blow. I, I know you are. And, and if you don't, I'll be angry. It'll yeah. just mean people have bad taste. Yeah, I mean, you're already obviously very successful, but I just think that. I think you are a star and congratulations. Okay, so I'm going to live my rich question asking life and ask, because this did come up a lot from our Shandies, the idea that you know you're in debt or you, yeah, you're in credit card debt or I don't know, maybe student loan debt, something, or you have bad credit. What is the first and let's say second thing you should do immediately? I love that you give a straight answer. Uh, If you have credit card debt, the first thing you should do is you should find out exactly how much debt you owe. Could Mm. be credit card debt, student loan debt, any kind of debt. 90% of the people I talk to in debt do not actually know how much they owe. Mm. Why would they? They they hate it. They don't even open the envelopes or the emails. They hate it. So Mm. number one, you got to know how much you owe at what interest rate. Number two is you have to create, you have to know your debt payoff date. So you may have $3,000 of debt. You may have $300,000 of debt. You need to know the exact month and year it will be paid off. This is easy. You literally Google debt payoff calculator. You type in two numbers and it will tell you. It will say May 2028 or April 2034. Fine. Now you have something to work with. People are often shocked. If they have a mortgage, for example, they uh, they go, oh my God, this is 30 years, blah, blah, blah. And I go, you know, have you ever played around with the calculator? And I guess I've learned that most people don't cuddle up with a blanket and hot cocoa and then play with a debt payoff calculator like I do. <laughs> I don't know. Am I the weird one or are they? It's got to be them. I go, get that calculator open and start adding a, a couple of numbers to it. So they go, okay, Remy. They're so scared. I'm like, it's a fucking calculator. You can't go wrong. Just type a number in. So instead of paying, let's say, $150 a month towards their debt, I go, why don't you type in 200 They go, 200 I don't know if I just like, type in 200 and they type it in, they go, oh my God. You can often reduce a long loan by seven years just by paying an extra $100 a month. Mm. So when people learn this, their eyes go big. And so what? those are the two things you need to do if you realize you have debt. And the bigger principle behind this is that money is highly counterintuitive. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples that are going to shock you. Um, one, a lot of people have, uh, their parents have a financial advisor. If you're listening to this right now, or you're watching this, text your parents, be like, do you have a financial advisor? If they do this fucking financial advisor, probably going to be named Chet. Okay. <laughs> be like, Hey, Chet, ask Chet how much Chet charges. Okay. Now watch what happens. First off, I have nothing against financial advisors per se. I've even hired one myself one time, but if the answer is anything but a dollar amount, like $200 an hour or $500 or $5,000 a year, they are getting taken for a ride. Why? Because Chet and many financial advisors and firms charge a percentage. Let me just explain the math. It's shocking. If you pay 1% in fees, people go, oh, 1%, somebody to look over my money. That's not such a big deal. 1% means you will pay about 28% of your returns over your lifetime in fees. Let me say it again. 1% per year means you'll pay about 28% of your returns and fees. That's hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you're paying 2%, that could be with fees, expense ratios, backend bullshit. You're paying over 55% of your returns and fees. So everybody listening here is so obsessed with $3 lattes and cheesecake and dessert. Meanwhile, you're getting silently taken with these expenses, okay? Mm. That is what you've got to focus on. Start asking $30,000 questions, not $3 questions. Quick aside on that. Um, Since a lot of people are in debt now and we're in a very inflationary environment for the moment, Mm -hmm. let's say you have a bunch of fixed or APR debt at like, let's say around six, six and a half percent, which is probably somewhere in the average these days. What do you do if you have enough disposable income technically to service the debt and to invest? Okay. Are you gambling at that point saying like, well, I'm paying six and a half percent on this debt, but I probably could make seven and a half to 10 percent on investments. So I'm going to pay off less of the debt and hold that and not waste my liquidity and just put money in investments. Okay. So first off, that's an excellent question. 
but it's also highly technical. So like 98% of people are like, what the hell is this guy talking about? <laughs> Let I, me explain. Was this was a selfish exactly. question. Exactly. So she had a selfish question too. Listen, You're living yeah. your rich life. No, no, no. I, yeah, I love it. You're like, okay, I got to get this one in. Listen, I love this question. I'm going to answer your question, but I want to set the context for it. Everyone okay. listening is like, what is this guy talking about? And I think there's power in calling out the elephant in the room. A lot of money is confusing and it mm. shouldn't be. So let let's let me make this palatable so we all understand. First of all, there's some people who simply hate debt. They hate it. And I could show them the math. You've got a 2.5% interest rate. Why are you paying it off early? You could make so much more in the market. They're like looking at me like, this fucking guy's nuts. I hate debt. And so I have finally conceded. I go, you know what? If you truly hate debt and you understand that you are going to quote, lose money by paying it off early, fine. Not all of your money is based on rational math. Like feelings matter. I have stuff I do that is irrational and that's totally fine. As mm -hmm. long as I understand how it fits into my overall rich life. Mm -hmm. All right. Now as, so if you're listening and you're like, I hate debt and I don't care what an interest rate is, I'm just, I want to get rid of it. I go, okay. Are you sure you understand that if you pay more towards your debt, you're actually losing money because you could be investing it? They're like, if if they sit down, they look at the math, they go, okay, fine. I still want to pay it out. I go, fine. God bless. It's your money, not mine. Now, if you're a little bit more technical and you go, I understand interest rates. I have a 6% or 6.5% loan on a car, a house, whatever. Should I pay more towards that or should I invest more? Honestly, at 6.5%, it's roughly a toss-up. It's roughly a toss-up. My philosophy is you should be doing both. Again, yes and yes. Why? You should be paying off towards your debt and you should be investing. The ratio is really up to you. But the reason for that is that behaviorally, it's really important to be investing consistently every single month, okay? Because uh, you don't magically start investing one day. Like people go, when I have... A higher salary, I'll start investing. I go, no, you won't. When I pay off my debt, I'll start investing. No, you won't because you don't have the habit. So if the habit means it's $20 a month or $50 a month, great. And then you could turn that dial up when you have more cash available. That was the right answer. <laughs> did I pass? All right, I passed the test. Yep, you did it. Okay, Ramit, we have to respect your time. So I'm going to ask you, for anyone listening who has never read your book, hasn't seen your show, what would you like their takeaway from this conversation with us to be? What do you want them to wake up tomorrow morning and do? Well, first, I just want everybody to see that money is fun. You know, a lot of times <laughs> when we look at money. It really feels that way. I'm you serious. Know, you, tell you really love talking about <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's, it's fun. It's so cute. I love it. I just, it's like infectious. I it's suddenly feel inspired. It's a, they say life is a game and money is the currency of the game. Yeah. yeah like when, when people talk about money, some, you know, you see them physically shrink. And they, they, they start apologizing. I know I haven't, I haven't invested yet. They even apologize to me. I haven't read your book. I go read it or don't. It's fine. You know, it's your life, but I don't like seeing people play on defense. And so when people talk about money, they often think that it's numbers on a spreadsheet. And for me, it's being able to get a beautiful cocktail downtown. It's being able to take your kids to Disneyland. It's being able to buy a beautiful coat or bag unapologetically and to never have to worry that we're going to have food to eat or be able to tip 25, 30%. So money is meaning. And that's the first thing I want us to understand is stop playing defense. Stop accepting the premise that we've always got to save, that we've always got to feel bad, that inflation is going to keep us all down. Like, why are we even talking about inflation? You should have your system set up that automatically handles inflation. That's part one. You got to feel good about money. And then part two is you got to get educated. It's not enough to jump around the campfire and sing Kumbaya and say, ah, I'm affirmations. Like, I don't believe in that. I believe in doing the work. You get confidence through competence. Know your numbers, build your conscious spending plan, automate your money, learn how investing works. You can do this all through my book. You can do it through the Netflix show is a great place to start. And once you start to do this, just like any other part of life, it could be fitness, it could be relationships, you know when you start to get good at it because you start to feel good, you start to talk about it, you start to feel more comfortable and less overwhelmed. And that is exactly how I want people to feel and to act and to think about money. Ah. Yeah. And you know, it's it's uh, not to, <laughs> to have the last word, maybe, I don't know. But 
I feel like a lot of people say like, oh, life is not all about money, Remy. It's not yeah. that. It's about love. It's about all this. And I say to that, when you get the stress of money under control, you've created sort of this framework for how to deal with money in a way that doesn't take up space mm -hmm. in your head. You have the bandwidth to focus on the things in life that actually really matter. Yeah. And that's the thing I think people don't understand is that they don't realize that money, the thought of money is sacrificing their commitment to other things that are really more meaningful in life. Totally. Money is a small but important part of a rich life. Small, mm -hmm. it shouldn't be everything. I'm not thinking about money, you know, when I go out to eat at a restaurant. I don't look at the prices. Why? Obviously, okay, I earn enough to be able to afford it, but I also have put money aside. My wife and I have talked about our rich life. We know we've made the plans because it's important to us. It allows us things like traveling to the places we love. It also allows us to make decisions like we don't want to get a new car. We don't need it. It's not mm. important to us. So you don't have to think about it or become obsessed with money. That's not what I want, exactly as you pointed out. But it's an important part of a rich life, just right. like relationships, just like where we live, what we eat. And so I think we should take it seriously. And it enables quite an amazing life. Mm. What a lovely way to end. Thank you so much, Ramit Sethi, for joining us today. Yeah, this was great. I just can't wait for your show to come out tomorrow. Yeah, I really can. At yeah. first, I was like, oh, it's a money show, whatever. And um, now I'm like, I'm watching this money show. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And for everyone listening, I would love it if you watch just the first three minutes to start and then send me a note. You can find me on social media. I'm everywhere. Just tell me what you noticed in the first three minutes. I think you're going to love a different way of looking at money on this show, How to Get Rich. Mm, fantastic. Thank you so much. And congratulations. And yeah. I can't wait to just see you Bravo. soar. Thank you so much. Thanks, Remy. Bye-bye. Take care. Whew. Oh, Ooh. man. You know, it's been a while since we've had a Hot Topic episode where I think we've spoken as little as we just did. Oh, I, I was hoping, like, I was just like, you know what, Andy? Don't say anything. Like, just let him go. Because I knew you were going to ask the good questions and do it in your way that you do so well. Aww. And I wanted to just sit back. I was like, I don't want to tell a joke. I don't want to <laughs> say anything funny. I don't want to ask questions that go into rabbit holes. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to get him to have as many words come out of his I mouth agree. as humanly possible. I agree. Because as you said, he gives a straight answer. Yeah. It's so rare at all. Like without all this like mitigating, yeah. you know what I mean? Usually you get, well, whatever's best for you, whatever works for you. I'm like, is there a gold standard of how you have like joint accounts, separate accounts? He was like, yes, it should be this and this. You should open this account. You should get this credit well, that's card. That's the thing. I'm not used to that. Like even, Me and either. I'm not, and I don't want to like say, and nothing, therapy is fantastic. Oh yeah. It's wonderful. What does that have to do with Because I'm just getting into, I want to, I, I have to have disclaimers. <laughs> I've learned this. Everything has to be disclaimers now. Okay. But it's like going to the therapist and being like, oh, I don't know. I got this. He's like, go for this girl, take this job and do that thing in the, in the place you wanted to do. <laughs> no, that's a great comparison, actually, yeah. because a lot of it. Well, I will say his podcast, when he talks to couples, it gets really it, I mean, it's fantastic. It gets very psychological, like a yeah. lot about the yeah. emotions behind why people are overspending or whatever. But I you know, this was sort of like a um, like a Cliff's Notes of, I think, what he does. Sure, yeah. And and still, we got so many straight answers. I, I was worried in this call, there'd be a lot of kind of like sort of broad, not, I don't want to call it BS, but like very, very vague, broad- 100%. Descriptions of the way you should be. Yeah. And it was the opposite. It was just like, no, you do exactly this thing. And this, remember, this is, as you said, a Cliff Notes. Yeah. It's not like he has like five hours to sit down and go through oh, all this I stuff with us. so many selfish questions I wanted oh, to yeah. ask. So many. I was oh, like, like, my tongue was bleeding from me biting oh. it so hard. So you didn't live your rich life. <laughs> I guess I didn't. I always thought, you know, I don't know. I saw Schwab on those commercials and I was like, oh, that's for like rich businessmen. It sounds rich. It's, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, we, we have. To, it sounds expensive, I expensive. guess. Expensive. Yeah. yeah. But hearing him say that there's no ATM fees. Yeah, I'm going to look into Schwab. Yeah, me I too. I didn't know about this. Yeah. I felt validated at the credit card list. 
You, you do have good credit cards. Although I confess I'm one of those people that's like, oh, 5% back on gas this quarter. Okay, not gas because we don't have a car, but yeah. on, I no, don't I know. I know what you do. I've seen Grocery you do stores. <laughs> yeah. I think your, your credit card game is very strong. I'm a bit of a credit card coupon clipper. I like yeah. I like to make the most. If I'm paying a fee for a credit card, you'd better believe I am getting the value of that fee back. I really have to say it makes me love you more. Really? Yeah. That's nice. Sure. <laughs> sure. Some people would be like, that's disgusting. <laughs> no, and who, who could think that? No. No, I'm very pragmatic with that stuff. You are. I just like a value. What can I you say? You do like a value, and so do I. But I like how you even called me out at the beginning, you know, the idea of envisioning your rich life. And it's funny how just the two things I mentioned, they both came with all these caveats. Yeah. Yeah. You kept saying that. You do that all the time. Yeah. I've been telling you all this time, live your rich life. <laughs> Meanwhile, you have a perfect vision, crystallized. <laughs> okay, I have nothing to add to that. He was fantastic. Yeah, I'm actually excited to watch the show. This I, was a good ad for us. I'm a little starstruck right now. Yeah. I was a little starstruck. Well, he had that X factor. So many times. I literally caught myself just like... Well, I didn't want to do anything. I was like, I hope Charlene's got these questions right. It was, I'm just an audience member here. Sometimes, yeah, the, the guest will say something that will lead me to another question. And yeah. he, then he would he would answer and just stop talking. And I'd be like, oh, yeah. Um. <laughs> right. Questions. Oh, OK. OK, well, that was awesome. Yeah. Very exciting. Yeah. I think he's about to explode. Seriously, I can't wait for his show. I'm jealous that by the time the Shandys watch this, they can immediately go to Netflix and watch his show. He's going to have to upgrade his rich life. (laughs) It's going to get a lot richer. (laughs) Okay, if you enjoyed what you heard today, you know what we will ask of you, and that is to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, follow us on Instagram and TikTok. Leave us Apple and Spotify. Podcast ratings and reviews. Tell your friends... And generally do all the things you would do to support a podcast you enjoy. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time on Dear Shandy. Bye-bye. Dear Shandy. Like what would make this magical for your audience? You know them better than I do. What would make this amazing for them? So this is why he's good at what he does. Do you have nice pecs? <laughs> <laughs> he I mean, does. Yeah. He works This out turned a into a fitness episode I love. <laughs> Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.